This podcast is proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm the guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing, and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've I spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, uh, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle please get in touch with us on our facebook page follow us like us whatever it takes we would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as i know this industry is capable of hey gordon how's it going Going extremely well, Doc. I'm really excited about uh, the renewal of, of my interest in, in sport and uh, well done to Banyana Banyana. And aren't you lucky? I, I, I can't say, tell you how much I'm enjoying watching politicians trying to explain why they aren't paying women footballers the same amount as, as their male counterparts. So I hope this resolution happens quickly, yeah. but it's quite entertaining to watch the back scrambling up. But well done. That's brilliant. I loved watching it and... Uh, Thanks to all the broadcasters and the sponsors for bringing it, uh, bringing it home. Yeah, absolutely, Gordon. I mean, again, well done. You know, not only we've spoken about the American ladies as well, similar concept. You know, they've done far better than their male counterparts in World Cups and big tournaments. And, uh, you know, not only have Banyana Banyana won it, you know, sadly, sometimes Bafana battled to qualify for the tournament. Never won Wimbledon. So, yeah, yeah big difference. No big kidding. Difference. Yeah. Anyway, we can always chat sport, Gordon, but we're not going to because we're under a little bit of time pressure. So it's gonna, uh, it's my big pleasure to welcome a big name on today. Now, Gordon, we often say this when sometimes you get people on who are well versed at cameras and mics and far better than us. You better have your A game. And I say you, you and I. Now today is one of those <laughs> examples. We have to have our A game because it's a debt van der Haar on uh, on the show today. A debt. Hi, I'll give you your proper intro now, but well, um, well firstly, thank you and welcome uh, for, uh, for spending time with us. Thank you, guys, and uh, it's great to be on your show, Doug. Great to um, reconnect. Yeah. Yeah, Ajit, you and I spoke a few weeks back. We were on the same ball on the next chapter with Napster, you know, and you were sharing and you did the very first opening address uh, sharing your experiences and, you know, we'd like Gordon and I to chat about some of those things, but just, you know, for our, for our listeners, there's a bit of background. I mean, Odette, 
um, a long and illustrious career, and you continue with that as a marketing brand consultant across multiple brands. You you now, and, and I think it was that day you were telling us you're going to redefine yourself as a creative suit, connecting people via yeah. <laughs> stories. I remember really saying it. And you know, prior to that ACA, long time in, in the in the industry. Gordon's going to chat to you about Mac Charter. Uh, you were at JWT as the top person there, publicist. Uh, and of course, on the TV, before, uh, in front and behind the camera. And I saw the other day you'd done 100 episodes of, um, of, of the show Business Beat on ETV. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. It was on Tuesday. Yeah. Well, well done. I mean, that's fantastic. So, again, you know, we can, we can spend so much time reminiscing, but let's get straight into it. Odette, let's just talk a little bit about, let's start with the creative suit. Let's talk about your role, your role on creativity. Uh, and then let's let's talk about things like entrepreneurship, transformation, very passionate point uh, of yours uh, into the Mac Charter. So let's just talk about the creative suit title that you've given yourself and what it means to you. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I... I call myself a creative suit because I just don't really have a title. Um, And it's because I've literally found myself in a space where I connect brands to consumers in a creative and strategic way through storytelling. Um, So what am I? Am I a creator? Am I a suit? Um, And in order to do this, I have to pitch every day. So this is where the creative suit came from. If I'm pitching, I'm probably a suit. If I'm telling stories and um, creating um, this connection between brands and consumers in a creative and strategic way, I'm technically a creative and a strategist. So I'm a suit, a creative and a strategist. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. In at least one capacity. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you have that ability, Odette, have you played many different roles across the industry and assimilated, you know, all of those roles into that ability to, as you say, be on the one hand, a, a creative person talking about storytelling and, and uh, with its movie making, whichever form, digital content creation, etc., all the way through to the strategic part, which you know, sometimes people don't have those two skills. And that leads me on to your role now of entrepreneur again. Uh, and I say again because offline you were chatting about, you know, at the age of five, you found that entrepreneurial mm. spirit in yourself. Uh, so let's just take you back to that stage. What were you doing at five that was entrepreneurial? And obviously that has taken you through and continues through your, through your career. So I've always had a side hustle um, throughout my life, whether I was at school um, in order to pay for my school fees. I used to sell flowers um, on a Friday night at restaurants. Um, When I was five years old, um, my parents had a fish and chip shop. And my dad taught me that you waste nothing in business. So when they would fill it the hake in order to make the battered fish for the fish and chips, they would save the bone, which is a kind of tri- triangular piece of uh, sort of bone on, along the spine. And he would, 
leave a little bit of fish on it, just little pieces, just enough, you know, yeah. without um, damaging the fillet. And he would batter the bones in the same batter as the fish and chips. That became my side business. So whilst my parents were selling um, fish and chips in the shop, I was selling fish bones two for one cent. That's how long ago it goes. Um, and my dad taught me that, um, well, like I said, waste not, but also that I had a, a very clear target audience in, in school children who couldn't afford fish and chips, um, but still wanted that experience of having a piece of fish, hot fish. So just as school would come out, I would get an enamel bowl um, with uh, wax paper in it, and it would be filled with these freshly fried fish bones, and I would sell it um, to the kids that would be passing by the shop, you know. Um, my takings, I'm actually looking at my little uh, savings book from once upon a time, we would um, go and deposit at, at the bank and we would track how much my business was making um, in my savings account. So this is where my entrepreneurial journey started. And yes, it continued way into my school career when I was studying at university. Just earlier today, I was talking about how I used to work at CNA um, as a cleaner and as a cashier while I was you know, doing my tertiary studies. So this is kind of part of my DNA, I guess, entrepreneurship. Yes, that's an amazing story, Odette. I mean, gee whispers. I, you know, I, I guess I'm less surprised maybe the CNA. You know, a lot of us have done those sorts of jobs, you know, uh, working in the checkers and the, as a cashier, whatever the case is, but certainly not selling fried, freshly fried, I must <laughs> add, fish bones. I mean, that's, geez, that's a, and, and yeah, and, and at such a young age to keep tracking you know, to, to understand the numbers side of it, not doing, and back to the creatives, you know, I know, and, and you probably and Gordon, so many creative people who love their craft so much, but yet forget to tally it up, you know, don't look at the other side. And so it's, it's good to have that blend of skill, doing something that is of value, but also it has fiscal and financial value to it. So yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I think just to comment on that, yeah, you know, uh, I think many people in advertising over the last four decades have argued that media is in and of itself a side hustle. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, we have the same problem in media. There are people who think their job is to produce massive audiences at a discount without any cognizance of, of the outcome, you know, pertaining to you know, marketing objectives. So, yeah, I think we've all of us got to keep our eye on, on the end game uh, at the end of the day, which means uh, balancing, yeah, balancing the finances, balancing the financial outcome. It's not enough if you give me five rand that I give you, you know, three rand back in discounts. What you want presumably is 10 rands worth of sales or, or 10 rands worth of brand enhancement or 10 rands worth of, or whatever it is. So, yeah, I, I think it's vital, all aspects of communication. We keep an eye on the ball. No, I was going to say I couldn't agree with you more. But I think there's an even broader picture beyond just the media industry. Um, I read an interesting statistic the other day um, that 80% of South Africans are 18 to 25 years old. And of those 80%, 80% have side hustles, whether they are employed or whether they're unemployed and just track hustle. Um, everybody in that age group, which makes up the majority of South Africans, has some form of side hustle in order to supplement their income. Jeez, that's amazing. Um, and Adit, just taking it a little bit further on that side hustle slash 
entrepreneurship bent in your career? I mean, having run big agencies, having worked across on your ACA days, across everybody, what is the current take? What is the current feeling and, and your expertise in terms of um, entrepreneurial creativity across South Africa at the moment? I, I don't think it's a very popular view. I think that agencies lost the ability to be agile like entrepreneurs. Um, I often see an, a brief, or I used to see a brief come into the agency and it would go through quite a laborious process before anything would revert back to the client. Many, many, many layers um, of resources. And I think what COVID did is it showed up that um, inability of an agency to be entrepreneurial. Um, smaller businesses, whether they are agencies or not, often multitask pretty much like I do. And they would take a brief and turn it around very, very quickly, which means that their overhead cost is also much, much lower, which means that their charge out rate would be much, much lower. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the work or the quality of work would be compromised. And I think this is the misfortune of agencies today, is that the focus is on the workflow process in order to achieve what is deemed a high quality output of work, but it takes too long and it's too expensive compared to what real entrepreneurship is about, you know, addressing a business problem, being agile, being quick, you know, being cost effective. That's amazing. I mean, that's amazing. Adeta, um, I, you know, I certainly wasn't aware that it, it was in your in your view at, and your expert view at that stage. So, I mean, and tell me after COVID now, you know, before I guess to a larger or lesser degree, promised ourselves we would change our behavior after two years. I mean, do you think mm -hmm. agencies will not change their behavior, having learned that perhaps things could work differently uh, over over the period? No, that was my biggest struggle when I was in Adland, um, was trying to get agencies to see a different way of working, a smart and effective way of working. Um, sometimes agencies are pretty stuck in their way, particularly large multinational agencies. They would have a particular way of working, and I'm not talking about um, for governance purposes or for control purposes but just a particular way of working. So a brief will come in, let's just say it goes in through an AE, the AE has to then uh, rebrief it and share it with an AD, the AD then reframes it and sends it back to the client, the client then makes edits, it goes back, it then goes into the client service, let's just say director, client service director okays it, then it goes into traffic, traffic will then allocate resources, resources will then get the brief and only then will they start looking at it. At that point, a couple of weeks have gone by. And just think of all the resources, the costs, the hourly costs that have stacked up. Um, and often it's for a small job, you know, something that can be done quite quickly. So my biggest struggle when I was in Adland on the agency side of the business was trying to not bypass systems, but implement new agile ways of working. Um, and I guess people felt that if there was a new approach that they would perhaps become redundant mm. or that, and, you know, for fear of losing their jobs, people became um, resistant to it. Sometimes people are just generally resistant to change, but yeah. there are a lot of complexities. And of course, when you start bringing color into it or transformation into it, the minute you start bringing a newness in the ways of working, 
and you layer transformation, you know, onto that, it definitely creates um, fear. Amazing. I mean, yeah, it's certainly just your first, your, one of your points around change, and a lot of people are resistant to change. But you think to yourself, you know, that certainly uh, working in that dynamic or so-called dynamic industry, uh, the ad land folk would be uh, more open to change. And then onto transformation. And Gordon, not because I don't want to chat about it, it's such an important topic, but I know <laughs> you are involved and have been involved at debt has spent a long, long time with the various iterations of the MAC Charter. I don't know if you want to maybe just chat a little bit about, about transformation and your experience of it and, and where it is at the moment. You're listening to The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media. Just can I quickly comment on, on, on what they said? I think, I think it's, it's exactly the scenario she's described. The problem is, is however, worse, uh, perhaps, than, than she's intimating in the sense that not only are these, are the, these massively obstructive reporting processes, et cetera, but if, I'm, if my entire KPI is built around hourly rates, I can't afford to have a, a solution in the first meeting. Um, I, you know, it's, it's like going to a psychiatrist. The last thing the psychiatrist is going to say to you, I think you're one of the most well-adjusted people I've ever met. It's not in his best interest so to do. So I think that, that is the problem. We've created a monster and we have to feed the monster. Otherwise, we don't make any money. And then just on top of that as well. So in all of this, uh, we've got a whole bunch of new silos. We've got legal, for instance. So every client wants... Great creative advertising, edgy stuff that'll blow everyone's socks off. Oh, yes, and by the way, you're not allowed to offend anybody. So, you know, uh, we've created this uh, ridiculous scenario, which is simply unplayable. When I say we, I think we've got to look back to Sir Martin Sorrell and that whole WPP model. Um, apologies to, you know, WPP uh, people who are present, but that's where the problem came in. So you build 10 silos. Each one is supposed to generate more revenue, but quite frankly, the, the process is unworkable, which even Sir Martin figured out in the end. But coming back to the Mac Charter, I mean, I think, Adette, you're the perfect person to, to, to talk to this. We were both involved in the, in, in the first mm. one. This is the third iteration uh, of the Mac Charter. So my question to you would be, you know, what do they have to do and what did we, we collectively, including myself, do wrong on iteration one and iteration two of the Mac Charter? I don't think there was anything that was done wrong. I think the spirit and the intention was there to create change and equal opportunity. Um, the problem was there was a resistance to change. So when the first charter was promulgated under Section 12, it was gazetted as best practice. So optional. You know, you could change if you wanted to, if you were a good corporate citizen. And of course, nobody changed. The next step was then to implement more stringent conditions in order to force the change that everyone was resistant to. And the second iteration of the charter um, came to life when it was promulgated under section nine and written into law. The sad thing is that even though it was written into law and I spent almost 12 years of my life making sure that that happened, there was no oversight in order to ensure that the targets were met by the industry holistically. And there was the shortcoming. So the spirit and the essence of the charter, which was to take people from outside the industry, put them into a trade school like the AAA or Red and Yellow, for example, give them an education, 
you get bonus points for doing that. You take them in as an intern, you get bonus points for that. You then give them permanent employment, you get bonus points for that. You then continually skills develop them until they get to management and control. And of course you would get bonus points for that. If they then decided to leave and freelance, then of course procurement comes into play. If not, you then look at your supply chain and you would get bonus points for that. And then of course there would be equity and control. The main thing and RSM, responsible marketing, but that's a discussion for a whole other day. Um, the main purpose was to hold the hand of a potential candidate from the time they start the educational journey and almost have a four-year interview with this person to prime them and to ready them to become a part of your agency or your company. And then once they're in your company, to continually invest in them because you know they're the kind of person that you want to invest in and that you want to be a part of your team. They would then generate really good work for you. And they should then be able to own a part of the business that they work in, not a foreign investor that has nothing to do with the industry, write out a big check because they purchased a chunk of, of equity at the highest possible multiple. That's where this thing went wrong. Um, when the force, the, the force of the Section 9, in other words, when it became written into law, became a reality, everybody started selling off equity at the highest possible price and cashing out. And then you found transformed agencies with people of color owning an equity stake in an agency that isn't worth the paper it's written on. And in fact, those shareholders may or may not see a dividend in their lifetime because the debt is too high. When I say the debt, I'm talking about the price that they paid for the equity. And there no, I mean, lies the problem. It's a tough, a, a tough response because, I mean, you know, uh, the uh, quick response, which is generally ill thought through, is, well, you know, why don't you start your own agency? But, but if you look at the way global advertising is structured, the, you know, the, the pie that you would you, you need to start your own agency is so small because of global alignment. So do your own thing is not the proposition it used to be in the 70s and the 80s. It's, it's just not viable. Also, people of color don't have the means necessarily. Um, my generation of people, and I'm talking about the pre-1994, not the born freeze after 94 still had an enormous debt to society in terms of their families if they were educated. So it takes indeed a village to raise one. I represent the 1% of my community. In other words, somebody who is educated, somebody who has a profession, somebody who is somewhat successful compared to the people, my peers in the community. My kids have a better chance at succeeding because of my success. But if I represent 1% of my community, the other 99% might not necessarily have the means to be able to get that triple A degree, buy a MacBook, and start creating stuff as a freelancer to be able to create a portfolio. So they're on the back foot constantly. And you know how it is. If you come out of a, a traditional university, and you call yourself a creative, people are skeptical about it, right? So the likelihood of them hiring you is very slim, whether they hire you as an employee or whether they hire you as a freelancer. So what is the success rate 
of that 99% of people if they were to start their own agency. Very slim. And, very, very, very slim. And Odette, taking that very bleak picture to today, now we're on version three of the map charter. So how is mm-hmm. that, and I, Gordon, I know you're very close to that, how's that progressing and how's that going to be different to version one and then version two that you've now elaborated on? What's the, what's the major difference? Until people understand that transformation is not punitive, it doesn't matter how many versions of the charter you put out. Transformation is a process of skills development, of true empowerment. When I say empowerment, I'm talking about empowerment through skills development and experience and sharing of knowledge and and enablement of any kind of person to be able to progress if they are South African. Remember the preamble of the charter says that the South African ad aid industry wanted the work that was created by South African ad agencies to be authentically South African, made by South Africans, by South Africans, for South African consumers. It was to initially address the multinationalism in the industry where multinationals owned the biggest chunk of the agencies and the industry, and they then dominated with all these global alignments. So first and foremost, it's got nothing to do with color. It's got to do with being South African, truly South African, authentically South African. And then it's got to do with, all right, if I have some degree of privilege compared to my neighbor, how do I help my neighbor reach the same level as me? Do I mentor them? Do I have skills develop them? And in, in the same way, who can I look to to mentor me and skills develop me so that there's an upward trajectory in skills and that there is no glass ceiling? Everybody moves up until the retirement stage. The old go so that the young are able to take over and that the young are representative of the South African population, which is one that is a rainbow nation with 11 official languages. That's truly what transformation is about. It's not about black and white. It's not about making white people redundant. That's racist. Thanks, Adidas. No, look, unfortunately, there's an an unintended consequence here in this sense. No, so you you say, you know, you progress until retirement age. And, you know, if if you, and I won't mention the, the global advertising group that said they would not be employing anybody over the age of 30. Um, but because of the peculiar history of South Africa, when you when you put an age filter on it, you're going to actually lose what was in the 70s, and that is a very white industry. So those skills are gone. And, and the conduit that you had uh, as an industry for bringing them back in doesn't exist anymore, by which I mean the AAA school. Yes, I know it's being mm. sold off, but the AAA school as an actual entity mm. of industry initiative doesn't exist anymore, which, which is problematic. But at the end of the day, I still think, you know, transformation, uh, you know, th- there's a critical component that we're missing. It's not about legalism. It's about, and the phrase we've tossed around often on the show is cognitive diversity. If you just have a whole bunch of people who look different but think the same, there's no cognitive diversity. And so we see the absence of, co- or well, I see the absence of cognitive diversity as the real challenge. We talk about transformation, but we have a we have a TV sector where, I can't remember the exact figure. I did a, I did an analysis of the retail sector the other day. 97% of the ads are in English. 
Where, where's the diversity in that? It doesn't matter if you're a white agency or a black agency or a male or a female or a gay agency or a straight agency. Mm. If you think the answer to communication in this country is to produce everything in English, then there's going to be no real transformation in the front line, which is the consumer's interface. We're so busy worried about our own interface with each other and the globals, we were missing sight of the true transformation must be the experience of the advertising consumer and the way he or she or they uh, experience our communication. 100%. And, you know, whilst I agree with you, there is one thing I do want to say, is that the skills of the 70s and the 80s, even the 90s, should have been passed down through skills development to the young people. But the problem was that everyone was too afraid that if they taught the younger person how to do the job, that the person may do it better than them. Again, coming back to the fear of redundancy. And, you know, as parents, we hope that our children will do better than us. And they probably will. And as parents, we, we trust that our children would know better than us. And they probably will. And if this is an accepted norm in society, why can't we do or apply the same thinking in the workplace? That as the elders in the workplace, that we impart knowledge to the younger people to build up the skill set, you know, and not be afraid that people would be better than us. I work with young people all day, every day, and I learn every day. And I love it. I love the fact that they teach me. And they love the fact that I teach them. And there's no fear of redundancy because we understand that I know something and they know something. And if we collaborate and work together, we could both learn and we could move forward progressively. I mean, that's wonderful. And Gordon, that's your um, saying of, you know, if you, if you believe you're going to learn something tomorrow, you're not scared of sharing something today. So that's exactly... previously disadvantaged. That's, uh, but I'm talking I mean, about I mean, it's core. Yeah, you know, at, at its core, that, that's really it. And, and you know, the, the irony of it is the more you share, the more you realize you've got to up your game so that your sharing doesn't become the sharing of the past rather than the sharing of a current skill. So it's, it's actually, it, it's, it's quite motivating and uplifting. The more you share, the more you uplift your own game. Everyone wins when, they, when there's a sharing mindset. It's, uh, it's that old saying, you know, Doc, if you have an apple and I have an apple, and, and we exchange apples, we'll both walk away with an apple. But if you have an idea and I have an idea and we exchange ideas, we'll both walk away with two ideas. It, mm. Sharing is exponential. Everybody wins. So we've got to get back to that, that circumstance of, of cultivating a sharing mentality to the mutual benefit of everyone. And uh, that, that's that it. That is but, Ubuntu. Uh, you know, that is what Ubuntu means, actually. And if you look at the Mac Charter, the, the spirit of the Charter, the most defining principle of the Charter is Ubuntu. Yeah, and, and I think the most underrated contribution to this industry uh, by the industry in, in the last two decades, the unsung hero of transformation, um, is in Quinque and Quorma. The amount of work he put into iteration one of the Mac Charter is unbelievable, and it was so heavily centered around training and genuine uh, uh, transformation of, at, at a level of skill, I honestly don't believe uh, he's been given the recognition he deserves for that initial iteration of the MAC chart. I think what he did was incredible, and I think I'm afraid we, we did not 
uh, accept the baton from him. He was the first runner in the relay, and we didn't take the baton um, from him you know, correctly. So we're still playing catch-up. 100%. I actually had him on my show just a couple of uh, weeks ago. Um, I did a two-part series with him, and we spoke about the fact that he did more than just um, contribute to transformation in the ad industry. He, he spent his fair share of time on Robben Island with the likes of Oliver Tambo and Madiba, some of the people we respect the most. I hold him in the highest regard, and I agree with you. The ad industry definitely didn't give him sufficient um, praise for his contribution. Um, but when I sat down with him and I spoke to him about transformation or the lack of transformation um, in South Africa holistically, he had a very clear perspective on why and where things are going wrong. And again, it boils down to this blame mentality that has come, come about, um, a handout mentality that's come about, this disease called corruption that's come about. You know, so it's become, initially it was just about, let's get the previously disadvantaged people on the same page as everybody else. Now there are additional layers that have made it very, 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 very complex. And the landscape isn't quite as easy as it was when he set about trying to get the ad industry transformed in 1998. Correct, correct. 100%. That, that's absolutely right on the money. There's no, lots no. to talk about when you talk about transformation. Goodness. Yeah, you know, know, um, absolutely, Odette. It's such an important topic. And, you know, we're only scratching the surface from a time perspective, you know, and obviously you and Gordon have done work together and deep work far more than we can cover in, you know, half an hour's episode of, of our podcast. But, you know, as we're moving to the end, Odette, I really want to say a big, big, big thank you. I know you're so busy doing a whole lot of stuff. Thanks for sharing time, your insights and time with us. Um, I'm going to leave it to Gordon to close out today, but I'm just going to leave our listeners with one of your mottos, uh, and that is that in your life, there are no regrets just life lessons, which is a fantastic 100%. attitude to have. 100%. Uh, great. Odette, thanks very much. I'm going to leave it. Thanks for your time. Gordon, I'm going to leave you and close it out. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. And um, may it grow from success to significance, as I like to say. Well, thank you for those encouraging words, Odette. Great to have you on the show and to be talking about the subject, which I think we share as a, as a real passion. And uh, to all the listeners out there, guys, Let's just keep talking because the moment we stop talking, we ain't going anywhere. Ciao for now. Ciao for now, guys. Bye. And so that was another episode of The Doc and the Guru. Please don't uh, forget to get a hold of us on Facebook. Like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond and hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Miller, the guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.